but we are here to hear the word of God. How wonderful is it this morning to know that we have got in our hands the mind of God. What's on God's mind? It's in the word of God. And we continue this morning as again we open up in the letter of John. Now, I just want to let you know that we've got two more sermons in this letter. So this is part 12 now. We started 12 weeks ago and we, we went through the, the, the letters of John verse by verse. And there's a few things that we've learned from this. First of all, that God is light. Who knows that by now? God is light who shines into darkness. Not only is God light, but God is also love. If you want to experience the best love in the world, it's the love of God. And He is not trying to be. He is not uh, attempting to be. God is love. That is His characteristic. Light is His characteristic. That's who God is. And then finally, God is life. Light, love, life. Those are the things that this world is looking for. That's what they are looking for. The world people around us is looking for those three things. And we find them in Christ, in God. So wonderful. We've learned a few things in this letter, didn't we? We saw main things coming out of this is that Paul says there, not Paul, John says there in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 9, that if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and not only that, but to cleanse us from unrighteousness. This we've learned. This we've got to live by as children of God. That, this is, is becoming our characteristics as well. Because the Bible says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. He changes our DNA into the DNA of His Son, into the image of His Son. So close, so very close that the day when He appears, we shall be like Him. These are foreign words to a foreign world. Concepts that He puts down for us. We learned about righteousness. He was telling us all about that. Then He touches in this letter upon false preachers, false teachers, the Antichrist. But He came back to righteousness, that you and I need to live a life of righteousness, a, a life acceptable to God. We all are trying to live a life acceptable to ourselves at some stage in our life. But this is now acceptable to God. And you know where we find the owner's manual for that? In the Word of God. In the, in, in the Word of God. I remember everything. I, I'm not very good at it, John, by far. You go and you buy something from Bunnings. And I find myself so many times, you take it out of the box, you rip it open, you throw the whole pile there and you go, yeah, now we're going to put this thing together. And so many times I don't look at the owner's manual. And I seek this whole thing apart and I, and I put it all together and I go, it doesn't look right, it looks askew. What's that? Take it back to Bunnings, get my money back. And, and you know what, sometimes it takes effort and you put this bolt on and that one there and you've got this little Allen key tools and you know, it, it hurts your hands and your fingers. You know what I'm talking about. And you go all of these things and it takes you time. And then you stand back and it stands like that and you go, what's going on here? And that's when I pick up that owner's manual and he goes, all these little parts has got numbers to them. A, B, C, D, you know. The person who puts those things in a box and know what he was doing. Then I go, ah, 
I've put in number B with number A should have been in. Hello. Duh, come on. And then I have to take it all apart. And I, you know, it hurts my fingers again. I've got big hands, as you notice, and those little Allen keys are small things like that. You know what I'm talking about? And then you go in and it takes a lot of effort. You know what I should have done from the beginning? Open up that owner's manual. Yes? But do you know that people are doing the same thing? They put their lives together. They do all the things which they try to do good and it takes effort and it hurts sometimes. And then they stand back and they look at their lives and they go, Oh goodness, what have I done? It doesn't work. Until somebody comes around and says, let me point you to the owner's manual. And you start opening up and you go, oh, okay, that's how it works. I put A where B should be. And once you change it around, your life starts falling into place. How wonderful is that? Let me just put it out there. If you put God first in your life, your life will be in place. It's just like that. If you put God first in your marriage, your wife will love you more than ever. Your husband will love you more than ever and your children will. If you put your husband and your wife first above your children, because that's how it is. You know, God gave me a beautiful wife. He gave her to me. I thought I chose her, but he gave her to me. What a surprise that was one day. When I realized and I look in the owner's manual and see that God, you know what, God controls your footpaths and everything. So the person you're sitting next to, you go, oh, it was my choice. No, God directed your footpaths. How wonderful is it that both of you now are worshipping God? It's so wonderful, isn't it? And then you know what you do? Out of that marriage comes children and you raise them in a godly way because of His grace. Amen? So today we're going to go to the second last one and I've asked David to read to us our passage today. We're going to open up in 1 John chapter 5 and David's going to read to us from verse 1 to verse 5. Listen to the word of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is a victory that has overcome the world our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that jesus is the son of god praise the lord how wonderful is god's word heavenly father we thank you for the public reading of your word and though we say nothing from this point onwards we thank you that there was a voice and breath put to your words and the holy spirit now will make it alive in your hearts. Father, touch our ears and your eyes so that we may understand the concepts of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a few things which I picked up as David read that, out of that passage. And if it's your Bible there, do what I do. Scratching it with your pen. Okay? Do that. And I want you to underline or drill circles around the following phrases there. Because these are powerful phrases. Look at this. It says there in verse 1, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. That is a powerful phrase. Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that? The world don't want that. The world say, no, that's not so. If you look at those things, 
the new age of the world is giving us, and they say, no, 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 He is not the Christ. Christ means the Messiah. Christ means it's God Himself. The world comes with a new age thought process, and you know what they say? They say, no, it was only a man with a Christ spirit in him. He wasn't really the Christ. But what do you believe? What do you believe this morning? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? On your banners that we've got outside for all the world to see as they drive around, they're not out there today, but when we put them out, we say, Jesus is Lord. And soon, mark my words, soon people will come in here, they will contact me and they will say, can you please remove your banners because that's not what we believe. You know what I want to say this morning? It doesn't matter and care to me what the world believes. It matters what you and I believe. And what do you believe this morning? Jesus is the Christ. Now, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't study your Bible, that's why I want you to underline and to make circles around it and to say it over and over and over again so that it gets stuck in your mind, in your heart, then when somebody talks to you about Jesus, in your mind you say, I know who He is. He's not just a historical figure. He is the Christ. That's important. So many times in this letter, John points towards that. So many times in the Gospel of John, John points towards that. In fact, the Gospel of John is written so that you and I understand that Jesus is the Christ. We've studied through that in this church. When we started here two years ago, I prayed, I said, Lord, where shall we start with a brand new church? And you know where the Lord directed me? To the book of John. And what are we learning in the book of John? That Jesus is the Christ. That is fundamental. That is critical that you and I understand that and stand of that. Not only that. Not only that. But it says, is born of God. Now, you say, wait a minute, what does that mean? Let me take you back to, one, uh, to John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. That word there for word is the Greek word logos. It means the written word, but it means Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God. Now get this now, don't miss this fact. I'm going to say it slow that you get this. And Jesus Christ was God. And let me say, and Jesus Christ is God. Is that what you believe this morning? Hold on to that, dear brother and sister. My friend, sir, madam, hold on to that with everything that you've got. Because soon that's the only thing that you will have in life. Your faith in Jesus Christ. Another a passage that stood out for me, and for you it might be different, but when I read over it and over again and I did it prayerfully, this stood out for me in that passage that David read. He says, Who loves him? Who begot also loves him who is begotten. Let me read it in context, okay? Because I just pulled it out of there. He says, Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten. You say, what is that? Here's the South African speaking guy who spoke Afrikaans for the, uh, most of his life come and talk to you about English. But man, I understand this through the Holy Spirit. Look at this now. He says it's so wonderful. He says, who loves him who begot? Who, what is he talking about? We love him who begot. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's God. 
We love Him, do you? Let me ask you the question this morning. Do you love God? Come on. Say it more passionately. Do you love God? Yes. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind about it. It's not a softy, footy-tooty kind of love. I don't know if that even is a word, but it's not that kind of thing. It is the true love of God. He says, who we love will be God. Do you realize and do you absolutely believe this morning that God begot everything on this earth? Let me tell you this. That to me is more real than this little mic this morning. You say, but wait a minute, you touched that mic this morning. Yes, I do. But He is more real to me than you. You know why? Because He put everything together. Everything. He, he was there in, in, in times gone past and it wasn't a big bang. It wasn't monkeys starting to get out of gooey and all of that and be evolved into what you sitting here, an intelligent being. It wasn't all of that. It uses a wonderful word in the Old Testament. I mentioned it before. He said one day out of nothing, exist, and it appeared. He begot. That's what that passage means there. Out of nothing. He called it into existence just like that. Let there be an earth. And you turn in your Bibles into, into Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and it says in the beginning what? The earth was, there was an heaven and earth and it was formless. It, there was no form on it. And then He fashioned out of it a beautiful creation which we see today. But the crown of his, what he made is who? who? What's the crown that he created? What is the crown? Come on. It's you and I. We, the people he made, is above that. Little less than angels, he says there in the book of Psalms. So that stands out to me, but that's not where it stops. He says there, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Who's that? Who's that? Who is begotten of Him? We love Jesus. He's begotten of Him. But who else? It's you and I. When He begotten us. He begotten us. You say, wait a minute. Where do you pull these things out from today? Let me just quickly turn in my Bible as the Holy Spirit just leads me through this passage here. Let me just go quickly over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because this is a fascinating begotten word. Now, I was starting to, to say that we've got two sermons left over in, in the letters of John. And uh, I just got this morning as I prepared here, from after that, two weeks from now, or when I come back from a short holiday, we will go in through the Bible and we will look at uh, uh, important words in the Bible, like justification, sanctification. I will take that and we'll, we'll do a series on those. But listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, listen now, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. There's that word begotten. He's begotten us. You say, explain that to me. Let me quickly explain. You were lost in sin. And you know what He did? He begotten us. What does that mean to be begotten? He paid a price to get you back. You were lost. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave working as a son of disobedience with your father Lucifer, Satan. You say, that's a shocking statement you make. I'm just saying what the Bible says. 
And you know what he did? He came and he paid the price on the cross and died for you on my sin. And Peter says it, that he has begotten us again. It's right there in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. To what? To what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a powerful passage. You should go and read that. Because, friend, you're begotten again. And this is that stands out of that passage. And also, the one that stood out to me, just three things out of this passage when David read that, is the words to keep his commandments. Look at verse 3. He said, for this is the love of, of God, that we keep his commandments. Oh, brother, you want to say that we are under the law again? No, we are under Christ. That's why he says keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Where's his commandments? in your Bible. That's His commandments. What's the biggest of them all? Come on, you should know by now. Yes? You shall love the Lord your God, my brother. You shall love the Lord your God. And He says, the second one to that is, love your brothers. This is what He preached all about. Love. Honestly, if you walk through those doors, I, I look during the week when you come in here. To come in here and, and each one of us are different. When Glenn walks through the doors, you know, it, it makes my heart so good to see him, each and every one of you. I said to you before, when I pray during the week, I, I bring your names, each one of your names, before the Lord. And you know what? It's so good if you pray for somebody and you see them on a Sunday walking in. That's good. Go and try it. It works. I, I saw an ad somebody sometime. They say, do try it. I think it was an, uh, a tea ad. Do try. This is no tea, friends. This is the love of God. You don't do try the love of God. Why don't you do try the love of God? Because it lives in you. How can you try something that's in you? And in you and through you? Well, how wonderful is that? Today, I want to talk for a few moments about these words here that really stood out. Overcomes the world. He says... For whatever is born of God, everybody say born of God. Every that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and John makes it plain here that we must believe in Jesus the Christ. That's why I started off highlighting the Christ. That's what John makes it clear about. We're going to see shortly that if we have faith, faith in what? What is the object of your faith? The object. I mean, the object of your faith sitting here this morning listening to me is the chair you're sitting on. True, isn't it? When you came in, you saw the chair. You see, it looks really robust. I can put my weight on it. And you sat down. You put your faith in the chair. I know, I know I'm bringing it down to that, but what is the object of your faith in this case to overcome the world? And like I say, there's a new age spirit around the world now, which is trying to muddy the waters around this faith. Now, we've seen this before in his letter. It's, it's sort of a little bit of a repeat, but, and I just want to refresh your memory when he talks about the world. You see, he says, overcome the world there. 
And a few Sundays ago, a few weeks ago, we were talking about do not love the world. You remember that sermon? That was in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, when uh, John wrote down, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, what happens then, John? The love of the Father is not in him. And that's a lay down. You love the world, but you haven't got the love of the Father. And this is what we see in the world today. People are chasing love, the love of the world, and they miss the love maker of all, which is God. God is love. And we saw that day, and I explained to you that day, that when he talks about the world, he talks about the cosmos. That is the Greek word. And there's three meanings to that word cosmos. One is the round planet, you see. The round planet. And it's a beautiful planet. If you look as a stargazer through all of the technology to all of the planets, they are all beautiful, aren't they? If you look at Uranus and Pluto and all of those, they've all got distinct beautiful features about them. But none of them, not a single one of them is as beautiful from space as the earth. I challenge you on that. And, and you should think about this and say, out of this beauty, and I'm not trying to diminish the whole universe, God made everything perfect and beautiful. But if you look from space, your eyes will go to the blue planet, to the living planet. That's where your eyes will go. And He created the best out of all the earth, the planet that we're living on right now, as the most beautiful in the whole universe. And that's the only one. Let, listen to me very clearly. I'm not a scientist. I'm not claiming to be one. I'm a teacher. I'm a school teacher. I did science and I taught science to 10-year-old, 15-year-old and 18-year-olds. I know a little bit of science. But this I can tell you standing on the Word of God. There ain't any life out there. The life is on this earth. God gave the best out of everything for you and for me. And now they want to make rockets and go and live on the moon. And you know what I say? Good luck. I try to put a good accent on that. A British accent. Good luck. Because you know what, friends? In my Bible, it writes nothing that you and I will go and live on the moon. It ain't there. This earth will sustain us. Listen to me very clearly. And somebody take this sound bite and send it to Al Gore. This earth will sustain us until the Lord comes to collect us from this earth. And He is coming on the clouds to receive you and me if you are a born again child of God unto Himself. And the world says, that is a lot of rubbish you're talking. It's a lot of nonsense. And I say, you know what? Your head is filled with nonsense that you don't hear the true word of God. This world will sustain us. Oh, what about the gases and the cars and everything? They have just put a whole veil over your eyes. So he talks about the round planet. That is the cosmos. In John chapter 1 verse 10, I showed you that he was talking. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He was talking about this world, this blue round planet that we're living on, and the world did not know him. When he talks about this world here, the world didn't know him. It's not the same, okay? Although it's the word cosmos, the world here talks about people. He was in the world, 
but the people of the world didn't know him. And let me just say, they still don't know him. They use him as a curse word, and you know, a lot of Christians get upset when they do. I don't anymore. You know why? Because they don't know the God. They're cursing in a God's name who they don't know. But I know him, and I won't do that. The second word there is people for cosmos. The one is John chapter 1 verse 10, as I've explained. He says, the world, the, the blue ball was made through him and he lived in him, but the world, here the people did not know him. He was talking about people. And then the third one which we picked out that day, which is the one we're going to see today as well, is the activities of the world. So when he says, do not love the world, he didn't mean we shouldn't love this blue planet and try to shoot it out or, or, you know, blow it up because we hate the world. Somebody said one day, stop the planet, I want to get off it. The problem is not with the planet, the problem is with you. Okay, so that's not what he's talking about, he says, and now this is the activities of the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, do not love the world, means the activities and the things of the world. Now, there's three areas in the world to have victory over. Three. It's really simple, isn't it? Three things. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He says in, in verse 1, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you know there's a lot of people walking around corpses? You go, but they're alive. We can see them walk around. They breathe. No, no, no. This is talking spiritually, okay? He says they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And I've explained to you before, trespasses, uh, it, it, those words there, one is to miss the mark and the other one is to go to an area where you shouldn't be. And a lot of people are operating in those places. In verse 2 he says, in which you walked. You see, it's an action word there, walked. Everybody walked here. What does it do if you walk? It's an effort. When you sit down, it's not as a bigger effort as, as you're standing and as you're walking. If you go to uh, Psalm chapter 1, he talks about those three actions. The one who stands, walks, and sits. Sit is a permanent place. I mean, you're sitting permanently here now for an hour and listening to my voice. But if you walk, you go a lot of places. You can move around, okay? So he talks about a specific action that takes an effort. He says who once walked according to the course of the world. you see that? And the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath just as others. So three things to have victory over. The first one is the course of the world. The second one is there the prince of the power of the air. And the third one is the lust of the flesh. Those are the three things you and I need to get victory over in the world. So if you break it down, the world here, the course of the world talks about the world. This is the activities of the world he's talking about. Again, I bring to you, it's not the planet, it's the people in a way, but it's the activities of the world that he's talking about. He says, we walked, we put a lot of effort into the activities of the world. That's what he's saying there. We conduct ourselves into the activities of the world to satisfy ourselves. You say, what's wrong with that? We'll get to that. And then the prince of the power of the air is Satan. 
He is the prince of the power of the air. Before this, he was in heaven. He was an angel. He was an archangel. He was uh, given uh, the music side of things in heaven. And then pride was found inside of him. He wanted to go above God. And then what happened? God threw him out of heaven. And he took a third of the angels with him. He rebelled against God. But he was thrown out of heaven. And I've got a lot of scripture verses here, but I, I, I'm just weary of time. But it says there in Isaiah that he, he came down and was cast down on the earth. And now he operates where? In the air. That's why it's called the prince of the power of the air. Can you see it's a small letter prince? It's not the prince of, of peace. It's not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself says at one point, I saw Lucifer, the same man, Satan. I saw Lucifer being cast down like a flash out of heaven. Cast it down on the earth. Amen. And then he talks about the third one, the flesh. Well, guess what is the flesh? It's the flesh. <laughs> and we all have that. Otherwise, you ain't be here. It's this. It's us. But it's more than just this flesh. It's your whole being. It's like Paul writes there in Thessalonians. Thessalonians says that I pray God that He keep you, what? In body, mind, and spirit. Is it? He writes it there in Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. We are made out of three parts. Our soul, our spirit, and our body. That's what he touches there. So this is the three things that we have victory over. Now, I want to explain this to you as my brother go to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament reveals things there. So back in the Old Testament... God brought the nation out of Egypt. We know that, didn't we? And there's three cities in, in Canaan, the land of opportunity, that represent the things that they are talking in the New Testament. First of all, it's the city Jericho. Jericho represents the world, back in the Old Testament. And then there's this small little uh, city called Ai. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? You can go and read in Joshua chapter 7. It talks about Ai. And then the whole land of Canaan is a representation of Satan. Because ever since they've lived in that land, even to this day, he uses nations to go up against Israel and try to destroy them. It's all in the Old Testament. So what happened to Jericho? Let's just see how this works. So when they approached Jericho, the Lord came to the nation and said to them, I want you to go around this city and besiege it, which they did. And they saw the city there with its fortified walls. And you can imagine yourself, the people inside of the cities, getting the army ready. These Israelites who they now have heard so much about, they are preparing themselves for war, get everybody on the walls, and they look out upon this nation there right in front of them. And this nation is getting themselves ready because we're going to take down this wall because we've got behind, we've got God uh, behind us. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. We've got everything going for us. The promises of God is yea and amen. And we stand on the promises of God. But God does something different here. He does something totally different, which catches a lot of them. He comes to the leaders of the nation and he says, I don't want you to storm the walls. But I want you to walk around the walls and make no noise. You just, what? You're going to walk around the walls. What is that war? That's not war. 
And, and you can see the people on the inside getting ready. And, and I just imagine the shouting back to the generals. They are moving! But instead of coming towards them and preparing for this, they started walking around the city. What is that? And they didn't only do it for one day. How many days? Six days. Six days they walked around. And, and I can just imagine how it runs from the wall all around the place. And they go, oh, they're coming back and now they're settling down. What is this? We haven't seen this kind of warfare in all of our lives. What is going on here? So the seventh day was really interesting, wasn't it? So the seventh day, what did they have to do? They had to walk around it seven times, is it? So they keep on walking around it. And what happens when they stop the last time? They had to blow as hard as they can on the trumpets and everything. And what happened to the walls in the city? It came tumbling down. So you say, how do you apply that to the world? And the course of the world? Because friends, let me tell you one thing. They did nothing to get victory over Jericho. Who got the victory over Jericho? God did. Who brought the walls down? God did. And you know what God said to them? He said to them, Thou shalt not take any... I, I said, I put in the thou. I wanted it to sound very religious, okay? Uh, he said, You shall not take anything that's in the city for yourself. None of the spoils, none of the money, none of the gold, none of the silver, none of even the, the, the slaves what's there or the animals. You shall take nothing because it's cursed. Now, put this on as Jericho represents the world. God wants us to live in the world, but we're not of the world. Yet today you see so many people clinging on to stuff of the world. But God says to them, what did He say? Once the world go in there, they destroyed every single thing in there. Friends, it's to you and me a picture of the world. You see that Jesus got victory over the world for us. It's nothing that you do. If you sit here this morning and you say, look how great I am, nothing of the world can touch me. You know what I call that? Pride. Because it's your efforts. In the Old Testament, God did this. He destroyed the city on their behalf. They had to do nothing. All they had to do is blow the trumpets and run. And, and, and you know what? The walls came down. It's the same to us. But I want to jump quickly to the flesh before I get to Canaan. Because Canaan is the representation. If you think about the prince of the power of the air, where is he operating? All over the world, isn't he? You look in the book of Job, when he had to appear before God, what did he say? God said, where are you from? And he says, I went to and fro all over the world. He's walking around like a roaring lion to see who he can destroy. Same thing in Canaan. When they moved into Canaan, he wasn't just in the cities. Now all the inhabitants of Canaan wants to destroy this nation of God. And it's the same today. If you look at the Arab League in the Middle East, they say it. They say, we'll chase that nation into the sea. We'll liberate them. We'll destroy them totally and utterly. But let me just tell you a secret here, okay? Just between you and me. They're not going to succeed. Why? Because God is on their side. You say, where's your proof? How much time have you got? We can go through the Bible. And let it be known, a child of God, listen to me clearly now. Do not curse the nation of Israel. 
Because if you go up against the nation of Israel, you're poking your finger in God's eye. And guess who's going to come second? I don't think that's a big guess, is it? No, no. Here is the land of Canaan. But let me come to I. Because you see, if we say that Jesus Christ got victory over the world which He did, and He got victory over the prince of the power of the air, where did He do that? Who knows? At the... At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the way. Where did he get his victory? At the cross. Don't never forget that. Come on, friend. Mr., Mrs., Miss, Sir, Brother, Sister. Never forget that. When they thought they had the biggest victory of all. Man, when the darkness stood up and they went, Yay! There he is on the cross dying. The King of Kings is dying. That day he got the biggest victory of all. He strampled on the snake's head that day. Where's our death? Where is your sting? He's got the keys of death. So he got victory over Satan. But here is the one I want to quickly touch. Before we go to two things and drink coffee. Let's look at I. Okay? I is this little city there in Canaan. And now they've got the big victory over Jericho. And everybody's high-fiving and go, wow, it's good. And your faith is built and see what God has done. See what the Lord has done. But one of the people, one of the people called Achan, or Achan, or what your accent is. Agan, yes, you're right. What did he do? He took some of the spoils. He took some of it and he, he put it under his feet. And there's this little city, smaller than a Jericho, and they all are up and, yay! And they wanted to take this little city, and they came and said, no, no, Joshua, don't worry about it. You know, just give us 300,000 men. We'll just quickly overrun it. And they went and turned up and they ache and man, they give them a beating. I've got to see it right. They give them a beating. 36 men died and they had to run. This mighty nation of God had to run away. They had to run away from this. Why? Why did this happen? They came back and just away. what happened? They went to God and said, God, what happened here? We thought you gave us this land. But you see, the problem is, friends, flesh started playing a role here. Because sin was found inside of the camp. One of them went and they took some of the things of the world. You see, Jericho, the world, God says, do not take the stuff of the world, it's a curse. And what did one of them, the flesh went and they took stuff of the world for their own, and they put it under their tent, and it was found out it was him. So what did they have to do? They took his family, they took his tent, they took the stuff, and they stoned them, and they piled a big pile of stones up there to this day, the Bible says. What is he teaching you and me? There's three things we need to get victory over. You see, Jesus Christ got victory over the world. He got victory over Satan. But this little thing called flesh, this small city, I was a small city. You know, they looked at it and go, 300,000 men is good enough to over, overrun it. You see, it became the biggest, the biggest problem for them. And that's the same for you and me today. It's this flesh, our flesh.
Because you know what He does? He gives us grace and mercy through the Holy Spirit for us to strengthen us, to help us with our own flesh, the desires of the flesh. That's the one where you need the Holy Spirit and work with God. He took from it, from the flesh. And we need to be careful of that. I want to read to you Joshua 7.21. This is what Aegon said. He said, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. You see, when we go back into Genesis, when Satan appeared to Eve, what did he say? He said, Why won't you touch that? And she saw that it was good for the eye, good for food, and will give a knowledge, the pride of life. Those are the three things. This man saw it and he says, Oh, how beautiful Babylonian garment. 200 sickles of silver, mullah, money. This world today is driven by money. Money. People are living and dying today for money. You go, but wait a minute, money makes the world go around. Yes, and Jesus Christ created the world, yeah? So I'd rather go with the creator of the world than the thing that makes the world go round. And I think that statement is wrong because he makes the world go round. He says silver and the wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels and I coveted them and took them. You see, there's just one thing that I quickly want to lift out. That's temptation. Temptation is not a sin. <gasps> what do you say? No, temptation is not a sin. But bringing fruition to temptation becomes the sin. Taking the stuff. He saw that it was good. Then he took it. Eve saw that it was good for the eyes and then she took it. You know, we point finger at them, but you and I, are, are also, we are also guilty. We see something is good and we take it. We shouldn't. That's the flesh. He covered and took them and they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent and with the silver under it. And then they stoned them in the valley of Achor. So these are the three things that we need to get victory over. Let's have a quick look. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now what is the victory? How do we overcome the world? He says it right there. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. How do you overcome the world? How do you, when you get this temptation coming your way, how do you overcome that? By faith. Through faith, that's how you do it. Uh, he says, first of all, we need to be born of God. You overcome the world and its, and its temptations, first of all, to be born of God. If you're living in the world, you don't care. If you're a son of disobedience, you don't care. You want more. And it doesn't matter who you step on to to get more, you will do that. But it's when you become a son of God that you start thinking about this. And it changes totally for you. Now look at this. John 1 verse 11. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born. Not of the will of the flesh. Nor the will of man. But of God. So it's born of God. You see that's the words. He says. For whatever is born of God. You see that? The Bible is so wonderful, isn't it? 
Who loves the Word of God? Who loves the Bible? I love it, absolutely. It's a wonderful book. He says, who is born of God. And here John comes, he, he says, this is how you are born. You are not born of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you are born of God. God borns you. you you've got no say in that. Oh, let, let me put it this way. You've got no hand in being born. I said it last week or a few weeks ago. Who's present when you are born? Your mom and you. You have to be there, otherwise, you know. You have to be there to be born. So God calls you through His Holy Spirit and He borns you. That's been called born again. Uh, we find this in Nicodemus. He came to Jesus. He was a very clever man. In John chapter 3, verse 3. In fact, if you look further into chapter 2, the last few verses in chapter 2 explain to you something which happened in our day. Nicodemus was standing in the city there. Jesus went around and he performed miracles. And there were a crowd. And let me tell it, where you're going to hear this kind of preaching, there won't be crowds. But if we do a miracle here, man, next Sunday, it'll be all packed. We won't have enough food. That will be a worry for my wife. Will we have enough food? Let's say, you know, we, we're in, in, in this place here. And, and by the way, there's no bodies being held here, okay? I just want to put your mind, out to mind at rest. But let's say, you know, somebody comes in and we raise somebody from the dead. I'll tell you what, the whole of Melbourne will be here. They will have police controlling the roads. Why? Because people want miracles. Same in Jesus' day. This man was in the crowd. He was standing around and saying, Oh, that's what Jesus did, miracles. And, and what happened when Jesus was alone? He came to Jesus. And he says, You know, you must be a man of God because no one can do the what? The miracles that you do. They, they weren't there for the preaching. They weren't there for the teaching. They were there for the miracles. And him as well. And when he came to Jesus and said that, Jesus says in John 3, 3, He said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, born of God. So how do you overcome the world? You are born of God. That will help you to overcome the world. Nothing else. You're in for a losing if you are not born of God and try to overcome the world. It will be your own efforts. You see, and again in John chapter five, 3 verse 5, because he couldn't understand this. He said to Jesus, but wait a minute, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born? He didn't get it like a lot of people don't. But Jesus said in verse 5, Moses said, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And man, I can go in and explain all of that for you, but I'll save you time now. Just say that you have to be a spiritual birth. It says it up there. We were born not of blood, which is physical, uh, uh, flesh, not the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's what will keep you from that. And, and in Mark chapter 1 verse 14, we see how this happens. When, uh, when John the Baptist was in jail, look at this now. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. Did you know that Jesus Christ preached the gospel? Oh, and I thought he was just going around doing miracles. No, no, he preached the gospel. My brother, when you go to the city every week or every day, preaching the gospel, the same that Jesus did. He preached the gospel. And 
the kingdom of God and saying, this is what Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent! Repent! And believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus on the cross saved for our... That's the good news for our sins. He preached that. He said, well, wait a minute. It was before He went to the cross. Yes, I get that. But, you know, He was God with us. And, and you know what is the important word there? Repent. You find so many people who is now preaching a gospel without repentance. I don't believe in that. You repent of your sins that you've done. And then you come to the cross. Now, let me hurry on. That's the first way that you overcome the world. There's a second way. Not a second way, a second part of it. It's our faith. Our faith. You say, what is faith? Well, faith, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, you get a definition for faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence. The evidence. Now, listen to me. When you go to a court of law and you put evidence in, what is it? It's something physical. It is either a video camera which caught somebody doing something wrong, it's a letter, it's something. Something you bring as evidence. It's a tangible thing. And here we go into seeing the unseen, but it becomes tangible to us. Now again, the world won't understand this. It takes faith to understand this. He says, now faith is the substance of the what hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Doesn't make sense, does it? The tangible thing of things not seen. Uh, for by it the elders obtain good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Do you believe that this world was framed by God? How do you believe that? By faith. It is so tangible to me, like I said this morning, it's more real to me than this mind, than this book that lies here, than this computer. That's faith. So that the things which are seen were not made with the things which are visible. It is so important for us to understand that. Let me give you a quick explanation. You know that I fly around a lot. And it's an amazing miracle for me. We've got 30 tons of steel plus all the people going on board. And look, if you look at myself, you know, I weigh over 100 kilograms. And you go, 100 kilograms... I'll get onto the roof here and jump like that with my arms out. What's going to happen? Splat! I'll break a leg, I'll break something. Why? Because I'm not made to fly. But then I can't get this. They built iron and they put 30 tons of iron in the air. And it looks like that. That there is more than 30 tons of steel hanging in the air. But you know, when that thing takes off, when that airplane takes off, they put enough thrust, power behind it to push it forward so that it gains speed. And I've just learned this, because I read up a lot about flying now. When it takes off underneath the wings, the tur- or, or the wind is starting to make a rolling effect, and that makes the, it pushes it up, it pushes it up. There's, there's something that pushes and that pushes that steel up into the air. Now, there's a lot of things that needs to work perfectly well for that thing to go up into the air and to float there for 15 hours and then to come down. A lot of things needs to fall into the right place. So every single time I get on there and I walk onto that airplane, I put my faith and trust in something I cannot see. 
what can't I see? I can see the aeroplane and in my mind it doesn't make sense. In my mind it says 30 tons plus all of these people coming. Plus, have you seen some of the baggage people want to take on carry-on? Honestly. It's crazy. And then they, they put it up there and they, it won't close and they go, bang! And I go, I've got a computer up there. Oh, man. <laughs> But here's the thing, I, logic tells me it cannot happen. But what I can't see, but what I believe will happen is, if there's enough speed there, it will push the wings up and it will be enough there to keep it flying and it's been happy. They say it's safer to fly than to travel by car. And, and sometimes you fly like this one. And one of what I find is once you go above the clouds, it's fine. But once you drag into the clouds, what happens? There's a lot of turbulence going there. But I've got to have enough faith that there is enough thrust and, and forward motion that it keeps pushing it up. But that's something I can't see, friends. This is only what I'm trying to explain to you what Christian faith is all about. Christian faith, you can't see it. Though you can't see it, you believe it. People believe that, but they won't believe in Jesus Christ. And here he says it so beautifully for us that Faith helps us to overcome the world, our faith. So let's finish before we pray. In verse 4 he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We need to overcome the world. It is our flesh that likes the world. Okay? It is our flesh. We don't need to overcome Satan. The Bible says that we flee from Satan. We resist him. Okay? Or he flees from him. We resist the devil. The, the world's already been overcome by Jesus Christ, but the flesh is the one which we need to work on. And how do we do that? We are born again. That's the first thing that helps us to overcome the world in our flesh. And secondly, our faith. Who is, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So when we started off, I pulled one of those out and I said, do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? That is one of the steps to overcome the world. Here is our faith in whom? In Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So help us, Lord, that's what I would say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.